Thank you for joining us. We have recently recorded three episodes to share with you in the hopes that they assist with some tricky but essential topics. At least you get to listen to these at leisure and in your own comfortable choice of setting. Our three episodes cover getting your affairs in order, what can we do about affairs when somebody is dying, and what to do when somebody has died. My name is Sarah Dodd and I'm Head of Legacies at the Dorothy House. Each year, one in five of our patients is cared for with thanks to gifts left in wills, and this is why legacies are so important to us. Today, I'm very privileged to be joined by David Hill, who is a partner in the private client team at Mergers Druid. Welcome, Dave. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, yes, thank you. So I'm a partner in the Bath office. Uh, we cover Bath, Wells and Sherborne. Um, I've been with uh, Mergers Druid for 20 years, which seems a very long time, um, but um, we've had a long uh, uh, and good relationship with Dark House throughout that time. In this edition, we're going to look at what to do after somebody has died. I'm hoping that by chatting with David, we might answer some of the questions that are concerned to some, and even some of the questions that people don't even want to ask. We know that most of us do not like to talk about death or finances, but today we're going to talk about both. So Dave, what do you do after somebody's died? Where do you actually start? Well, if you've been unfortunate to have the news that someone close to you has passed away, the first thing that you need to do is, is arrange for the death certificate to be issued. Uh, and that's a two-stage process. Uh, the first part is that um, the doctor attending, the person will issue a certificate. Currently, because of COVID restrictions, that will get sent to the local registrar for births, deaths and marriages. And the process then is done by phone. You call the registrar, they make a telephone appointment, you give them details and they issue the certificate by post. So that's, that's stage one. A lot of people have asked the question over the time, um, the concern about finances. Yes. And one of the big things is the cost of a funeral and people not necessarily having access to that amount of money. What can you do to pay funeral accounts? Well, funeral expenses in legal sense are actually quite unusual. They are the first call on any estate. So if the person that's died has enough money in their own bank account uh, to pay funeral expenses, the bank will make a payment from their account to the funeral director. The process for that, first of all, to let the funeral director know that's what the plan is, they will issue uh, an invoice, give that to the, the, the bank. They will also want to see a copy of the death certificate at the same time and the bank will pay the funeral directors. In those circumstances, that's the quickest and easiest way. Sometimes people say, well, what about the account if it's frozen? And the answer is yes, that is the case, but the funeral account is an exception to that rule. And can anybody submit the documents to the bank for payment of the funeral expenses? I'm thinking in a will you have an executor, a nominated executor, mm. but what happens if it's just a family member? Can they submit the invoices for payment? Or does it have to be by the person who's named in the will? Not necessarily by the person who's named in the will. Uh, ideally, it would be because the executor, and if I just explain that term, that's, that's the person who's been given the job in the will to, to, to deal with the estate. It's useful for them to, for them to know what's happening. Um, but the, the, the process is, is a, it's a closed process, if you like, between the bank and the funeral directors. So long as there's a, a valid invoice and there's money in the bank, then that's fine. I think the information will still need to flow back to the executor at some point, but this is this is solving a practical solution. Um, it relates to the estate, but it's not so tight that it needs to be by a specific person. Usually it is the executor, but it doesn't have to be. Then it makes me think, what happens to all bank accounts get frozen? Sometimes you have it where um, 
people are frightened because bank accounts are frozen and they've got no access to paying bills, etc. So what happens to bank accounts? Well, the bank accounts usually have two separate scenarios, either a bank account in the sole name of the person that's died or in their name jointly with someone else, usually a partner or a spouse. Uh, if it's an account in their sole name, usually that account will be frozen. Some banks will release uh, funds if the uh, balance of the account is relatively low, and they'll do that almost straight away, and that can be helpful. Uh, they will normally issue that to uh, that payment to an executor, and they will normally want to see the, the, the will if there is one at that point. With joint accounts, it's slightly different. Um, a, a joint account will continue to operate as an account, and what happens is the bank, when they're aware that one of the joint holders has died, they'll simply take their name off. So the account number will stay the same, the payments will stay the same, and there'll be no break in continuity for the survivor to be able to use that account. So that's that's helpful. Uh, and in, in some circumstances, we, we would recommend that you know couples do have joint accounts, and that's where the bills get paid just because it solves that immediate problem. If a person dies and they have a sole account, uh, or an account in their sole name, and that's where all the bills are paid from, it will be frozen and it will stop those payments going out. Uh, now that often triggers a fear from a family of, you know, my goodness, that means that the, the electricity is going to be cut off and so is the gas and everything else. That rarely happens. Uh, utility companies, number one, they should be made aware of what's happened uh, and they will allow quite a long time of leeway uh, for, for payment. They'll continue with the supply, which is really important, uh, uh, but it's, it's communication, letting people know. It doesn't have to happen straight away, uh, you know, if you've ever missed a bill in your lifetime, you'll know that you'll get a series of red bills before the really threatening letters come. You can shortcut that because you may get a letter saying that the direct debit's not been paid. Is there a reason? And then you can contact them and explain. Uh, it's not something that needs to be too high on the priorities. It still makes me think that we need to have these conversations where we still can talk to each other. And uh, you know what the pitfalls might be so that it's not so frightening. Absolutely right, and as I say, it's it's it, it's the it's the discussions that we should all have, and we know we all should have, uh, we but we rarely have. do. No, no, okay. it's uh, as I say, I think it's a typically English thing. Uh, we just don't like talking about death or money, and we should do. Um, you know, there's connotations of you know someone's trying to get at my money, or if I talk to my parents about that, it means that they think I'm after it. That's not what it is at all. Um, you know, information is key particularly if things happen and you don't know what to do next. It can solve so many problems and make life so much easier. At a time, which, let's face it, it's going to be difficult anyway. Where do you normally find a will? Under the mattress? Sometimes, yes. Uh, sometimes it can be a bit of a search. The, the frustrating thing is that although we have a, a really good freedom within this country to make a will in any within reason, any form that we want, um, I can sit and write down a will for myself and as long as I get it, signed and witnessed correctly, it's perfectly valid. Um, that's stage one. Stage two is what do I do with it? And more importantly, if something happens to me, how is someone going to find it? We don't have a system here where if a will's made, it's registered anywhere centrally. There is no record of all the wills that are currently made. That would be ideal. Um, it would also be hugely uh, 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 complex to do that. So if you've made a will, what we would suggest is that you tell your closest family members, if you've made a well new appointed executors, tell them where it is because they're the ones that are going to need it. Not necessarily the right thing to do to 
give copies of the will to 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 everybody at that point because you may change your mind. So it may be that they're working on the assumption that it's a will that lasts all when it's not. Um, but you can't carry out the terms of a will if you can't find it. So don't stick it under the floorboards or the mattress. Keep it somewhere safe. All solicitors' offices will will, will offer a safekeeping um, uh, facility. We do, uh, and that's helpful. Uh, you, you would normally have a record of where it is, even if it's not a document that we've made. We can hold things in safe storage. We don't charge for that. Two parts to that. Number one, it's somewhere safe. It won't get accidentally put out with the recycling um, if, if things are being tidied. Uh, and the second part is if someone has died, the original will is the important document. Copies are rarely any good. Uh, they're useful for information, but not useful for the process of dealing with someone's estate. The original is key. Uh, and I just explain the reason for that is if the original can't be found, then the assumption from the court's point of view is that it's been destroyed and therefore it's no longer relevant or valid. Uh, so yes, it's important. Make one, keep it somewhere safe, and let, um, let, let your closest family members and executors know where it is. And if you want us to look after it for you, let us know. So they can know where it is. They don't necessarily need to know what's in it at that point in time. That, that, that's right. And I say, the reason for that is that um, we, it's easier uh, to get into practice of updating wills as once you've made the first one. It's not realise it's not so scary and it's not so difficult. Um, um, but if you make one and you give someone a copy and then you update it, but forget to have a copy. Yes, they'll know that one's there, but they'll probably be in their own mind thinking of something that's not quite right. So, as I say, it's, it's information that's important at that stage rather than documents being passed around. That makes sense. I was wondering whether there are always funeral or cremation instructions in a will. Commonly there are. Uh, uh, what we would say is, is in a similar conversation about what who do you let you know who do you talk to if you have made a will um the funeral wishes are probably something that's even more important dare i say it than to have a conversation about and even harder to have a conversation about than wills again going back to our, our foibles as, 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 a, as a as a society um number one we don't like talking about wills or death we certainly don't like talking about funeral arrangements and if we've made those funeral arrangements in a will and you can't find it <laughs> you, you can be in a bit of a difficult position. Funeral instructions don't have to be in a will. They can be in a side letter. You can talk to someone about it. And even if it's simply letting someone know whether you would prefer to be buried or cremated, you know, the details of a service can come along later. Um, and that's probably something that the family would deal with anyway. But not knowing what to do yeah. is, is really quite important. It can be really upsetting and a worry that, that a family are doing something that the person who's died wouldn't want them to do. Um, so even if it's a flippant conversation over Sunday lunch, you can say, look, you know, if anything happens to me, I don't want to be cremated or I do want to be buried. Just say it out loud. Um, uh, and that that solves a lot of problems. A lot of people these days are, are um, preparing some of their arrangements in advance, which is really good, really good mindset, because I think it feeds nicely into, okay, I've done that and I ought to make my will and that wasn't so bad either. Um, so prepaid plans or, or pre, pre, pre-arranged funerals are actually really helpful. And again, it's that mindset thing. You've sorted it out. You tick that box. You've, there's a New Year's resolution done early um, uh, and everybody knows. But again, if you've done it, do let everyone know just because there's no point in finding that funeral plan a year later. It makes so much sense because when somebody dies, the family or the closest members of 
that family unit are going to be grieving. I don't think they're going to be wanting to wonder about what you might have liked. Mm -hmm. And there is a huge stress in that, as you say, trying to organize something and wonder if it is what the person you're trying to honor would have actually wanted for themselves. So have a conversation. Absolutely. Yep. That's the easiest thing and the best thing to do. And when, at what point in this process would you go and see a solicitor? I, I would suggest that you initially pick up the phone as soon as you feel comfortable in doing so. And that's different for everybody. Um, sometimes we have a call, you know, the same day as someone's passed away, or it might be a, 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 a few days or a week later. That's fine. I wouldn't leave it too long. Um, only because that initial conversation, it might not be to do with the legal detail of what it is, but it might just help just to say, this has happened, what should we do? And the reassurance that you're doing the right thing is really helpful. Um, and it's not the case that when you do talk to someone like me that you've got to give all of the information in one go. Quite often, our first conversation is a fact find. You know, this things happened, I've never done it before. I really don't know what the practical side of it or the legal side of it is or what I should or shouldn't be doing. And we get lots of questions asked and that's perfect. That's, we, you know, we, can, we can cover quite a lot of ground in a short space of time and that just allows a bit of time for, for, for the, the, you know, the mind to settle and to answer any worrying questions and allows the family at that point then to focus on the most important thing, which is this first immediate thing of arranging the funeral and, um, you know, saying goodbye to their loved one in the way they want to without having to think, oh, I haven't done that yet. In essence, we can probably buy some time and, and help with some of the things that, yes, one or two things might need to be done quickly, but the rest of it we can fit in as and when. That makes sense. Do you always need to go and see a solicitor when somebody's died? Uh, not necessarily. You don't always need uh, uh, any legal help. Um, but what I would say is that the more preparation that's being done by the person that's died, the less need there is to see us. Uh, sometimes if a person's uh, finances are complex, then, then it, it is helpful uh, and, and necessary. Um, but as I say, it's, the, the more preparation and the more planning that's been done beforehand, the less need there is to, to, to involve any professional help. Um, what I would say is that, that uh, and this may sound negative, is but we have far more work to do uh, if things haven't been done well or prepared properly, um, because that tends to be where the problems arise, and that's where we have to get involved. So get something done, make something nice and straightforward, and that will will, will certainly help. We're always open to, to help and, and, and be part of any part of the process, but you, again, keep the options open the more you do yourself. And when you come and s when you as a um, family member come to see a solicitor, you for the first time, what do they need to bring with? Everything that, that seems relevant, and that's a very bland statement, but if, if, if it's a piece of paper you're not sure of or if it's information you're not sure, bring it. It's far better to have more information than, than we need than, than not enough. It's rare that you've got everything, so don't feel that if you haven't got everything, then there's no point in, in having a meeting and a conversation. There always is, even if it's to work out what's missing or what, what other information is needed. It's also quite helpful to have a conversation about what, what to expect, what's going to happen next, and how long is it going to take, and what do I need to do? Um, so talk, talking about some of the technical aspects of it are helpful because uh, most 
in most cases, it's the first and ideally only time that you might have to deal with this sort of thing. So you never get used to it yourself. And that's, you know, we can dispel some of the myths. We can explain some of the jargon, you know, what does probate mean and what's an executor and is tax a problem and all those things. Most of those we can usually answer uh, and give some peace of mind very, very early on. And that's helpful. And it also then helps to set the scene of what to do next, who's going to do what. Um, uh, and, and again, we talked about the tangibles. What can you do in a situation where some of the... Some of the decisions have been taken away from you. This is something that some people find quite uh, helpful in the process of dealing with losing someone close. Um, it, it feels in a roundabout way positive sometimes. I think it is positive. And go back to the talking about things. I can remember a situation where acting as an attorney, going into somebody's house after they died because we couldn't find papers. And we were searching for documents. And it does make you think that a lot of this preparation, whilst it is uncomfortable for the person doing it, it is far more respectful to the people you leave behind because you're not making them walk through the stuff where they don't actually know what they're doing. They don't know where the documents are. And a lot of it you can do in advance. It makes it hugely helpful. And for the solicitors on the other side, you have to do the work. That, that's absolutely right. It, you know, Even if it's if you only do it once a year, having a starting point is always better than not. Yeah. Um, and we're all, you know, we all have our skills and some of us are better with admin than not. Even if you just keep all of your financial papers in, in one place, that's helpful rather than, uh, you know, hiding them under the mattress or sticking them in a book. Um, yeah. uh, you know, keep them somewhere where they're going to be easy to find. Um, they don't have to be in, in perfect order all of the time, um, but making it a bit easier makes life easier for those that are left um, to, to, to deal with the paperwork. That's really good advice. Thank you, David, again for spending time with me today and for talking through some of these questions that make most of us very uncomfortable. If you want to speak to either one of us or you need more information, please go to the Magistrate website or to the Dorothy House website. There is a wealth of information there, and as David always says, pick up the phone. Thank you for being with me today. You're welcome. Thank you, and I hope that was helpful to everyone.